now on this Invest Talk podcast. Hi, this question is for Steve or Justin. I am looking at FRO, Frontline Limited. Just kind of wondering if this stock is a value trap. It's a little bit of something that I'm thinking for an oil play. All right, looking at FRO, this is a name going way back. I remember investing in this back in the mid-2000s. It went from, let's see, $14 in 2003 all the way to $362 in 2008 at the height of the oil boom. Invest Talk, over 28 million downloads and counting. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, January 25th, 2021 edition of Invest Talk, and I appreciate you all tuning in this hour. And on today's program and podcast, we will operate with our mission statement, as always, independent thinking and shared success. That's our assurance to you that whether we're talking about the markets, whether we're, ta- we're explaining our process of analyzing a, an investment, or maybe it's an educational segment showing you information about a particular topic that we think is relevant. Or maybe it's stock commentary, right? Going over a particular company somebody calls about, uh, breaking down the sector, the the numbers, all of that will be presented without bias. So we're going to give you the facts as best that we see them. And I'm Justin Klein. And of course, we encourage you to contact us with your finance and investment questions. Yes, you get to shape the show with your calls to your liking. In fact, you can call or interact with with us right now during our live stream program, which streams on investtalk.com, 4 to 5 Pacific time, or you can leave a question anytime, our Invest Talk voice bank, and that number never changes, 888-99-CHART. So let's get right to our first listener question right now. Here we go. Hi, Stephen Justin. This is Jesse from New Hampshire. I had a question on Schwab the Bank, ticker symbol SCHW. Uh, I saw today they had quite a few Form 4s come through, and they went up about 8 9%. I just wanted to know your guys' thoughts, where they're not mentioned as much as some of the other bigger banks out there. Thanks. Look forward to hearing, and uh, take care. Bye. All right. We like Schwab. We are... Uh, looking for a pullback though. This has gotten a little extended. It's up from 30, sub 30 back in March. Now we're around 60, coming down here, down $1.32 today to 57.08 at the close. Uh, we're looking for something in the mid 40s. That's an area that we feel would be a strong buy point, mid to low 40s. And that's, that's what we're looking at. So let's just say that. The one reason we like Schwab is they just bought TD Ameritrade, who is the broker that we use. Uh, that integration is going to bring scale uh, and a lot more customers. And so we like that business overall. And the fact that most of their revenue comes from cash uh, that, that's on hand there, fixed income, etc. And when rates rise, they tend to do better. Okay, so... Uh, and we think that we're in a rising interest rate environment to some degree, and that will benefit companies like Schwab. So uh, we're a fan of them, but 
I, I think it's ready here for probably a sizable pullback that we think longer term will be a good buy. Now today in this program and podcast, I will do my best to provide unbiased answers to all your finance investment questions. I know you need and want strategies to help you reach your own particular goal of financial freedom. And that's why we are here. And it's why we're ready to take your calls right now at 888-99-CHART. Now let's check in on the market today. We had overall, the S&P was up about 13 points, about what's that, a third of a percent or so. But we had a sell-off earlier in the day and then it reversed it. It was quite the volatile day even though we we closed up, closed positive. NASDAQ was up 92, about two-thirds of 1%. You had the Russell 2000. That was down about five points, very modest. Big sell-off this morning. I didn't see a major catalyst, though. So uh, I'm seeing some volatility creep into the markets here. And I still think over the next couple of months, probably weeks, uh, we could start to see a pullback. Now, will that pull? the pullback could be very orderly, very healthy, very constructive. Or it could be precipitous and on high volume. And I'm sure we'll know we'll know what that looks like, right? When we see it, if you see it big, massive, on on and on big volume, closing near the lows of the day, those are the type of pullbacks that can be a little more worrisome. But uh, I, I feel like when you get this volatility, history says when you get this volatility after a big run, the market's trying to change directions, uh, and that's what I see here is a modest change direction in markets. But once again, it's hard to know exactly whether this will be a major sell-off or something that's more a healthy refresh after a very, very overbought sentiment is very frothy at this point. And I, I think their market is set for a setback here at some point in the first quarter. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we made it. We're now in the fourth trading week of 2021. It's important to remember that through the market uncertainty and the task of building our financial freedom, you have to be attuned to the markets, to the risks, to the opportunities that are out there. And you cannot afford to backslide on your goals. And that's what we are here to keep you focused on. So your goal of financial freedom will require information and effective strategies. So let's talk about whatever is on your mind. Your participation is vital. So we're taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART. The markets react to uncertainty. Are you prepared? Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Your financial future depends on the answers to those questions. Justin Klein is here now and ready to talk with you. Call InvestTalk. 888-99-CHART. Let's over to, head over to Santa Cruz and talk with John. He's looking at iVol. I-V-O-L is the symbol. And this is an ETF that I am familiar with. It's the Quadratic Interest Rate Volume and Inflation Hedge ETF. Basically, this is a bet on inflation expectations rising. Are you looking to buy it or do you own it? Yes, hi Justin. Yes, I'm looking to buy it. Wondering if it's a uh, a good place to park some cash. Um, and 
I don't understand it. So please, ex could you please explain it to me? Yeah. So basically, it is it owns a lot of tips. That's its main asset is Treasury inflation protected securities. So it's going to generally follow the trend of tips, but it has a an extra juice to it, right? Meaning it uses derivatives to bet on the yield curve steepening. So when inflation expectations rise, that is when you tend to see the yield curve widening, right? And mm -hmm. so that makes the move in tips uh, more, it adds an extra bit of leverage, shall we say, to the tips trade. So if you, if you like tips, you're long tips, and you want to gain a little more juice to a potential move up in tips and inflation expectations, this is the type of name that you would want. Right, so it's a little riskier bet on the tips market, but it can cut both ways, right? Meaning, if tips start to decline or inflation expectations start to ebb, which they haven't really since uh, March too much, then eyeball is going to give you some more downside there. But you're also getting uh, a little bit better uh, yield, uh, a little bit better movement to to this. So I like it. I just don't love it. I don't think you're you're not going to get that three point four. 8% 4 5% yield that you're probably after. I don't think it's going to be quite as juicy. It's paying about 8 cents a month and that's nice that it's a monthly pay. But that's you're talking about yeah, 80 cents over over the year. Uh, I think that's a little optimistic. Let's just say that. Um, but it's it's kind of like buying a little bit Less, uh, more risky than buying like a ten-year Treasury bond it's a, ETF. Yeah, it's it's absolutely more risky. It's just a different play, right? There's going to be more volatility there, so uh, it, it's safe from a default risk, but you're exposing yourself more to the ebbs and flows of inflation expectations. Thanks for the call, John. Now, my focus point today concerns a story. Existing home sales in 2020 hit its highest point since 2006. So the housing market continues to evolve post-pandemic. And going into this year, we're going to give you an update on what the sales trends are like and what to expect for 2021. Also, time permitting, we have some other topics. How does this time frame compare to 1999-2000? And I will tell you, there are a lot of parallels, so we're going to unpack that. Also, companies are issuing shares at record, at record pace, so we're going to unpack what that means for the market and what that is an indication of. And then lastly, how much are smartphones, are smartphones impacting trading in the markets as a whole? So we're going to unpack all those stories if we have time, but ultimately, I want to know what is on your mind. That's most important to me. So let's keep the flow moving and go straight back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier on 888 chart Hey guys, it's Austin from Atlanta. I just had a simple question about how best to analyze an ETF to decide whether or not to buy. I get some of the ratios you want to look at for individual companies, but some of them don't directly apply. So I'm wondering what translates and what doesn't into analyzing an ETF. Would love to hear you guys answer. Um, look forward to it. Bye. 
Well, the first thing you have to think about with an ETF is what asset class that it's investing in, right? Remember, ETF just stands for Exchange Traded Fund. It's a fund, just like a mutual fund, a hedge fund. A fund is a collection of assets, and that collection could be made up of equities, bonds, commodities, derivatives, a combination of all of them, right? And you need to understand what type of volatility that asset class has, what type of diversification you have within a particular fund. Typically, most ETFs have broad diversification, right? They own dozens, if not hundreds of different assets, whether it's equities, whether it's bonds, commodities, etc. So that's the first step, is saying, do I want to gain exposure to this particular asset class? And then you say, within that asset class, what is the risk level that I want to take? Do I want to, if you're in equities, for example, small cap growth, that's probably going to be the most volatile. Or do you want something that's equities, but on the lower risk level of equities, which would be probably large cap blend, large cap value. And then there's everywhere in between as well. Same with bonds, right? There's treasuries, and there's not a lot of credit risk, but there's duration risk. How much duration risk do you want to take? Do you want to take credit risk? Corporates, emerging market debt, etc. So those are the ways that you think about it from a broader perspective. Then you say, okay, what, what's the track record? Are they indexing or is it active management? Because there are actively managed ETFs nowadays. Okay, then you look at the fees. See how far I went down until I got to fees? And that's one issue here is that we, so many people are focused too much on just the fee level and not enough on the risk of the fund in general. How well the fund is executed, what the process is. Okay? And when you do this broad analysis, then you can understand how it fits within a portfolio. Because you understand what you're gaining exposure to, what maybe you have exposure to that overlaps with other positions within your portfolio. Maybe that's an actual stock position, right? If you buy the NASDAQ, your biggest weighting is going to be Apple. Well, if you already have Apple, you're double exposing there, okay? So that's how you think about it in context to your overall portfolio and the broader diversification. So that was as simple as I could make it, but ETF analysis is obviously complex and it's important to do if you're investing in them. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And for investors, the, re- the need to remain vigilant never heading into this year, we know that there are a lot of changes and that means you have finance and investment questions. So your participation is important and I want to hear from you. So give us a call at 888-99-CHART. It's a new year, and building your financial future takes information and commitment. So you'll have finance and investment questions for Steve Peasley and Justin Klein. Call Invest Talk 888-99-CHART. 
Now, my focus point today concerns the story existing home sales in 2020 hit the highest point since 2006. And we all know the driver. And even the most avid buyers are bumping up against problems. One is supply, low supply, record low supply, and stretched valuations, right? The affordability being stretched. Now, closed sales of existing homes in December increased just 0.7% from the month before, but are up 22% year over year. So what you're seeing is going into the spring season, we're going to hit comps that are going to be very difficult. So the numbers today on a year-over-year -year basis are going to start to moderate pretty dramatically as we can do March and April. Now year-end sales volumes ended at 5.64 million, but most analysts believe if there was enough inventory, we would have hit probably 8 million units. Now that 5.6 million was still the highest since 2006, right? The, high, the, the height really of the, the housing boom in the mid-2000s. But by the end of last year, inventory stood at just 1.07 million homes for sale. That's down 23% year over year. And at the current sales pace, that represents just 1.9 months, months of supply, which is the lowest level ever tracked since 1982 when they started making that calculation. And this is the real crux of the issue, is supply. Yes, interest rates could rise, and that's going to hurt the affordability metrics overall. But it's all about that supply, because there's going to be enough. Even if interest rates move from 3 to 4%, there's going to be enough demand for, from buyers to keep prices relatively flat. It's all about the moratorium on evictions. And that has been the biggest driver of the lack of supply over the past year. So the current Biden plan is end of September. What happens after that? Now, one indicator tells me most of all what the main issue is, why sales are moderating at these higher levels. It's first-time homebuyers. They made up only 31% of sales. Usually, they're about 40% historically. Those young buyers, they're having a lot of trouble with lack of inventory and tough affordability. Let's go to Bill in West Virginia. He wants to talk about Coke. Hi, Justin. Thanks for taking my call. I appreciate what you guys do. Yeah, no um, problem. Yeah, I wanted to ask about Coke. Uh, back in November, there was a tax court ruling that Coca-Cola would owe the IRS something like $3.4 billion, maybe more. So uh, I know there's some uncertainty here, but I think it's still a well-run company. It's a business I'd like to own. So I'm wondering if you think that this kind of news is already baked into the current share price and, and what you think an appropriate entry point might be. Oh, yeah, it's definitely baked in, right? You, what, what month was that? November is, I yeah. think, when it made the headlines. Okay, so you're talking already three, four months, and uh, I guarantee it was already known within circles of analysts before then that that was a potential outcome. And frankly, $3 billion on a market cap of $200 billion? Right, that's Coke's 209 billion is Coke's market cap. 
uh, it's kind of a drop in the bucket, to be honest with you. They did $7.3 billion in free cash flow the last trailing 12 months. And they're just going to look at that as a, a one-time event. And markets and analysts don't value companies based on one-time events. They value them based on future cash flows right, and what their right. assets are today. So there might be a, a hit to their assets today in a small way, but Coke's so large that $3 billion sounds like a lot, but to them, it really isn't. Uh, now, it has pulled back here from its 52-week high of, what was that, about 55 bucks, just a few days ago, a few weeks ago. Now we're at 48. Our value on Coke is closer to that 55 range. So it's modestly undervalued, probably about 10% or so at these levels. And you're going to get that nice, what's the yield right now, 3.4%. So it's not an exciting name, but if you're looking to rotate into value, consistent company that is just printing cash year after year, then Coke's the name for you. Uh, but it's not exciting, but I think you'll do fairly well, and you're getting a pretty decent valuation. And I think value's the way to go. Thanks, Justin. I appreciate it. No problem, Bill. Thanks for the call. Yeah, that's always interesting, you know, that a lot of people get caught up in these one-time events, court rulings, things like that, and, you know, Coke is like a lot of large corporations. They have accountants on staff, tax lawyers on staff, and they're trying to squeeze out as much profit for their shareholders because they have a fiduciary duty to do so. And in the accounting world, there is some gray area, especially when it comes to big-time tax laws. And you might get a ruling against you, but at least they're trying and that's what they're paid to do. So that's why you got that. But most of the time that has very little impact on their business overall long term. On the next Invest Talk, this story. The pandemic may have permanently changed our financial behaviors. That story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Have you heard about Riskalyze? It's a brief question and answer form that you fill out online. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein will also get a copy of your responses. They can use the Riskalyze results to help you formulate a strategy that fits your investing risk tolerance. Learn more anytime and take the Riskalyze quiz at investtalk.com. Hi, this question is for Steve or Justin. Long-time listener, I love your guys' show. I am looking at FRO, Frontline Limited. Just kind of wondering if this stock is a value trap. It's a little bit of something that I'm thinking for an oil play. It's a speculative position that I'd be taking in it. But just kind of want to get your guys' thoughts on it. And again, the ticker is FRO, Frontline Limited. Thank you. All right, looking at FRO, this is a name for going way back. I remember investing this back in the mid-2000s. It went from, let's see, $14 in 2003 all the way to $362 in 2008 at the height of the oil boom. Uh, and now it's at $6.06 at the close today. Way, way, way down. And it lost money for, for many years, kind of up and down. Uh, depending on the oil cycle. Now, this year, or 2020, is expected to make $2.15 once they finally report fourth quarter earnings. 
and but only supposed to make 54 cents next year. So certainly a lot of speculation here, and they transport oil with 71 vessels worldwide. And as more and more, if there's more demand for oil, then more money, more oil moves around the world, and therefore they make more money. Now, historically though, their business is very up and down, right? They're a price taker, right? They're a price taker. They don't have an economic moat. They're just moving oil for a fee. And you see that with their return on equity, return on invested capital, return on assets. Sometimes they edge into positive territory, and recently they have, trailing 12 months, 14%, which is the highest level in the last decade. And so I don't have a lot of optimism for their business in the future because, once again, it's just they're at the whims of the oil market. So I rather own a company that has oil assets, cheap oil assets, preferably actually a lot of natural gas assets. And so while this could certainly go from six now to maybe up to nine, ten, twelve dollars, certainly possible, it's not a great bet in my mind because of this history of their business. And so I'm gonna pass on it. I'm gonna go to a safer oil play. I like the oil play, but I would rather go with a big, larger, integrated oil company than FRO Frontline. Let's go to George in Washington State. He's looking at LGND. Is this Legend? Is that what it is? No, it's a Ligand, uh, Legend pharmaceuticals. Uh, pharmaceutical. Okay. Are you own it or uh, looking to buy it? I'm looking like their last two quarters were really good. Their financials are pretty good. They're growing. Uh, right now, they actually own... In fancy server, they they went almost 50% up. I'm kind of probably late to the game, but I'm still considering to buy some positions because their performance seems to be going up. Okay, well, why do you do you know why their business has done so well the last two quarters? Because before that, their business was struggling mightily for at least yeah. the, the the year before that. Yeah, that's uh, so. They have a couple of drugs in the pipeline. They are coming more to the final stages, and I think that's mm -hmm. what brings them up. And then they are behind different small drug companies. Okay. Uh, well, I like the trajectory, I'll say that. The last two quarters, revenue were up 69 and 66%. Earnings were up 112 last quarter, up 47% year over year the quarter before that. So it's to make $6.09 next year. So looking forward, you're talking about, uh, let's see... 40-something PE, uh, yeah. but if they can continue that trajectory, they'll grow into that, uh, and technically yeah. it looks strong. Now, I will say, today's candle was pretty bearish. Uh, you had very mm -hmm. high volume, uh, the chart went somewhat parabolic, and that tells me that this is due for some sort of a pullback consolidation period. Now, if it can get back around, let's see, 128 to 130, that's an area I think there would be a lot of support. Okay, so that's what I would be looking at is, I would say, is this trajectory of the last two quarters sustainable? And look into that a little deeper, what is really driving that? And if it is, if that looks like something that is sustainable, then on a pullback into that 125 to 130 level, that's when I'd be picking this up. Thanks for the call, George. 
That was Ligand Pharmaceuticals. I haven't heard about it, to be frank. But I like the growth trajectory. Could be worth a little more investigation. Thanks for the call, George. 8899 chart, 8899 We have about 20 minutes left in the show, so I urge you to get your calls in now. Let's touch on some parallels, because, you know, I was coming of age in the first dot-com bubble. It was part of my, my education, right? Seeing the frothiness, seeing the excitement, around the markets during that time with my grandfather being the head of my firm, him being a mentor of mine. It was it was interesting, especially the years after that with the bust of the dot-com bubble. And I see a lot of parallels to that today. So let's go over that. What are the parallels? The first is story stocks. Right Back then, it was the new economy. It was anything with a dot-com after it. And today, it's electric vehicle stocks or green energy. And those have gone just through the moon. The vast majority of them, companies that do not make money and have never made money and have never proved they have a viable business model besides hype, and selling shares. And that was very common in the late 90s as well. Then, number two is IPOs. IPOs were all the rage back then. And the only difference I see today were are the SPACs, right? SPACs are booming. They're attracting celebrity backers. And it's allowing companies without any revenue, and this was also common in 99, to join the market with not much more than a story around green energy today or back then dot com. Number three, new investors who don't know what they're doing. I know Steve, he has a lot of nieces and nephews. I don't know if you, he's told you about that, but he does something like 40s. I forgot the exact number, 40 something. And he remembers back then a lot of his nieces and nephews were in high school saying that they weren't going to go to college. They were just going to trade the markets. And I see a lot of those parallels today around me with the younger generation. And many of them are doing things that are just things amateurs would do, like buying up shares of companies based on a ticker symbol with doing very little research around the company. One example is Zoom. You know, Zoom video conferencing, ZM, and a lot of people buying Zoom technology, Z-O-O-M. Right? Because they don't know the difference. They think it's all the same thing. Oh, Zoom is Zoom. Well, no. There are, different, there are a lot of companies with the same name, different tickers. The two separate companies. Same name, right? Cisco and Cisco, for example. Two different companies. And these are mistakes that were made headlines in the dot-com boom as well. And back then, it was all about the message boards. Well, today it's about Reddit. You've seen that with GameStop and Reddit investors kind of cornering the market with GameStop and making a bunch of money. So Reddit is just 
It's the message board, just like it was back then. And then lastly, old economy stocks, right? Companies that historically had nothing to do with technology. And if you look back, uh, Purdue University did a report in 2001 on companies in 98 and 99 simply adding .com to the company name led to gains averaging 74% in the next 10 days. So just buying up companies just because there was that story, not understanding whether this is actually affecting their business. And you're seeing that today as well. Company, companies adding clean energy or new energy to their name. Just like, remember Bitcoin? A lot of companies have, add, add, adding blockchain or Bitcoin to their name. And that was juicing the market. Wouldn't be surprised to start seeing that again as well. But this is another sign of that frothiness and a lot of parallels to 2000. I'm Justin Klein. You're listening to Invest Talk, and you are not alone. As you imagine, the greatest number of listeners are here in the U.S., but we get callers and listeners from all around the world. We get downloads from Saudi Arabia, Russia, Thailand, U.K., Australia, Germany, Switzerland, Japan, etc. So Steve and I thank you for downloading Invest Talk and for telling your family and friends about our free investing and financial podcast. Please call or send your questions in or email messages. And of course, we're welcome to call our KPP financial offices in Irvine, California. We would love to help you. We want to help. But for now, our phone lines are open at 888-99-CHART. Invest Talk is always made better when our listeners contribute their questions. Hi, guys. Lee from North Carolina here. I had a question about Stitch Fix, ticker SFIX. So tell your friends and family members they can interact in real time with Steve Peasley and Justin Klein during the Invest Talk live stream program between 4 and 5 p.m. Pacific time. Hey, Justin and Steve. This is Phil in Washington, D.C. Love you guys. I've learned so much. Or they can leave their questions anytime, 24-7, in the Invest Talk voice bank. Look forward to hearing you guys on the podcast. Thanks. Remember, for live or recorded questions, the number never changes. 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin. I've been an investor since uh, March and have been uh, listening to your podcast since then. I've got a question as it relates to master limited partnerships. I invested in a couple uh, limited partnerships back in uh, March and April, Enterprise Products Partners and Brookfield Infrastructure Partners. Both you, uh, both Steve and Justin, you both uh, mentioned the tax implications uh, that can come with the limited master partnerships as well as uh, the headaches that come with the uh, documentation, the K-1 form to be more specific. My question is, is that something, uh, you know, being a first-time investor uh, and not going through uh, and doing my taxes, uh, I typically do those my own. Is that something I should try and avoid and just get out of those now? Uh, I do have a money market account, so I don't have to worry about any of the issues as it relates to having any sort of tax deferred issues. So, uh, you know, again, my question is as it relates to the master limited partnerships and the tax implications. Thanks. Well, when you're investing in a master limited partnership, you are investing in a limited partnership. You are a limited partner and you will get a K-1. Now, 
just because you sold your K1 doesn't mean you are off the hook. Right? It's all about the income coming from that K1. And so selling them now doesn't mean that you are, it prevents you from getting a K1. You like, you will still get a K1 by the end of the year. And that'll be part of your tax return. Now, the bigger issue is if you own MLPs in a tax-deferred account, like an IRA or a 401k. That's where it gets a little dicier. But when it comes to a K-1 within your normal tax return, that's really up to you whether you want to deal with that or not. Some people are fine with it. They just add it into their paperwork and give it to the CPA, and their CPA handles it, and it's really not a big deal. But... When you have those investments within a tax-deferred account, that's where you suddenly lose that tax-deferred benefit for that money that's invested in the MLP, because guess what? It's taxed. If you are getting over $1,000 annually from limited partnerships in those accounts. So once again, this is a tax question these intricacies of the tax code are always left in my mind up to a CPA and I, I encourage everyone who has even somewhat of a complex financial situation to work with a CPA. A good CPA can save you a lot more than they cost. A lot of people say, I don't want to spend two, three, four hundred dollars on a CPA. Uh, it's just too, too much for me to pay. Well, in my experience, a good CPA will save you a lot more and save you a lot of headache that, you know, using TurboTax just doesn't cut it in my mind. So I encourage you to, to use a CPA and deal with these issues with him or her. Now for the break, we're going to take a live call from Napa. And I appreciate you all tuning in for this hour. And I remind all of you that I know today's Monday, but we did come out with our premium newsletter on Friday. And if you ever want to get a peek inside our mind when it comes to the market, portfolio management, maybe a couple of stock ideas to get you up to speed on different companies and what their benefits are and why we might like them overall. Maybe not today, but at some point to have on your watch list to build that. That's one thing that comes with our premium newsletter. You can sign up for that over at investtalk.com. Now I'm Justin Klein and we have one goal here to help you achieve your own particular version of financial freedom. And we're going into our final break. So get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART. Are there special rules when you're investing in growth stocks? Or what's your question? Why not ask it right now at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. This is Invest Talk. Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Is it delivering the types of gains you want and need to achieve financial freedom? Well, turn up the volume because there are many questions that deserve unbiased answers. And Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your calls live. 888-99-CHART. Let's head over to Napa and talk with Noel. He's looking at BGS. Yeah, 
Uh, yeah, I've owned BGS for quite some time, Justin, long term, and I was my attention was elsewhere today, and it, unfortunately, and I probably should have been selling BGS, but since I didn't, uh, what do you what do you suggest? <laughs> Well, this looks like another one of those Reddit raids on the short sellers. There's a lot of short interest for BGS. It looks like they are targeting a lot of these short, uh, heavily shorted companies uh, like a GameStop, like a B&G Foods, and just driving the price up, <laughs> which is uh, helps to give you an exit point if you're looking to reduce or eliminate your position in BGS. Uh, has, overall, if you're looking, if you're a long-term holder, it shouldn't matter to you unless it does hit kind of extreme prices uh, on the upside. And while it had a very good jump today, hit a high of 41 and change, ended up settling about $34, still up 12, 13% on the day. You know, overall, it shouldn't matter to you. And But I don't think even 40 is a level that the stock is absurdly overvalued, to be honest with you. Uh, I still think it has some potential upside longer term. So it just depends on your goal. You in for a trade? Or are you looking to own it long term, Noel? Uh, well, I've been a long term. I've had mm -hmm. it since 2019. So, uh, I, uh, I, you know, I really like the company and the dividend is fantastic. So uh, uh, there's no point in uh, might as well uh, continue holding. Yeah, I would just continue hold, holding unless, like I said, it gets. You have to figure out what your valuation is and and what what's the range. You're never going to know exactly, but you need a range of okay. This is worth the low end, say forty dollars, high end sixty dollars, and if it gets to that sixty dollar level, that's when you say okay, I should just take some chips off the table. Likely it will come back uh, down to earth, and maybe I pick up some more later. Uh, but you have to think of the tax consequences as well. So a lot to think about, uh, but very interesting move in BGS along with these other highly shorted names in the market right now. Thanks for the call. 888.99 chart, 888.992-4278. Now lastly, I want to get to a very interesting study. And this came out of researchers in Germany. They look at two large German retail banks that introduce stock trading applications to their mobile devices between 2010 and 2017. So they looked at over 15,000 clients. And what they observed was something pretty interesting, is that as soon as people could trade with their smartphones, it increased the purchasing of riskier and lottery-type assets and chasing past returns. So if you own a smartphone, it increases the probability of buying so-called lottery stocks by 67%. So this isn't shocking that we have this trend right now of people just buying stories and, and riskier names because you can't do research on your phone very well. But what you can do is look at a chart. And... The use of smartphones increased the probability of buying assets in the top 10% of past performance by 12 percentage points. And what was even more interesting is looking at Robinhood. A lot of people blame Robinhood for this and Robinhood requesting or recommending positions. And I'm not saying it doesn't have an influence. But in this finding... 
it didn't single out those companies that were being recommended. It found that risky behavior continued up to 10 quarters after initially using a smartphone to buy stocks. And it's not just young people. These German investors were on average 45 years old with nine years of investing experience. These weren't new investors. But it also makes it easier to, hey, you get a tip, I'm gonna go buy the stock. You don't have to wait to go home, right? But I think as you get used to it, having that ability, maybe it, that's, there's less of an itch there. That's why it kind of tails off after 10 quarters. But it just shows you that trading on a smartphone ups your risk level without the requisite uh, time to cool off, right? It makes it easier to trade on emotions. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free investing downloads. We post a new program each weekday shortly after the end of our live stream broadcast, which concludes at 5 p.m. Pacific time. Get your free download anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, and of course, investtalk.com. We invite you to call with your questions anytime on our Invest Talk voice bank number at 888 chart Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor.